Dennis, we have been talking about wayside weeds or uh, similar expressions. <laughs> and, yeah, some people might think that weeds or wayside herbs just might not, uh, might be extending their ben- their boundaries by being called herbal medicines. Well, that might be the attitude of some, but you would know, Jane, that I take an entirely different point of view on that, which I'll elaborate in a moment. Health naturally. And uh, it's all about the weeds, but we did have, we were talking about chickweed more, oh, both last couple of weeks, Dennis, yes. and uh, uh, somebody rang in yes. or called in yes. with, um, there is another weed that looks yes. a little bit like chickweed if you're going out to collect there your is. own. And, and this is why I think that if uh, listeners are intent on, on collecting some of these herbs and, and perhaps even using them, that they be sure that they are identifying the herb correctly. And that is why we put that book on the website, Weeds in Australia by Lamp and Collet. Um, we spoke about chickweed. Chickweed is a light green leafed uh, herb, if you like, with a gentle a little white flower on it. Um, whereas what's called radium weed is a darker, smaller leaf, is very toxic, and um, has a different coloured latex to it. With, uh, with uh, chickweed, it is a, a, a white latex, not that the latex is used. What's the latex? That's is the that juice in it, if you like, ah, or, yes. or what, what, what it discharges. Yes. But with the radium weed, the latex, which exudes from the broken part of the herb, it's very caustic, and some people have used it and I wouldn't advise it to be used in this way, but some people have used the so-called radium weed to address warts and things like that. Uh, it's darker, it's closer to the ground than chickweed, is not as attractive. Uh, chickweed has a lovely little white flower. Radium weed doesn't have that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So coming back to the point, I think this is important for listeners that are intrigued by um, the possibility of, of identifying Uh, wayside herbs which we did in Southern Cross Herbal School for over 30 years it's important to be able to collect safely and uh, and identify it properly and use it in accordance with what we've been saying on the program or what's in the literature. Mm, Yes make Mm, sure it's the mm. right one. So what about weeds as used in medicine? Well uh, remember we've been quoting uh, uh, dear Audrey Hatfield's book How to Enjoy Your Weeds, uh, keeping in mind that a weed is is a name that is sometimes used in a disparaging way. Uh, I see weeds uh, as plants that uh, are useful in most cases, but like all flora, uh, can be uh, a nuisance at times. Even gum trees can be a nuisance at times. I have the view, for instance, with gum trees that planting them around the house is not a wise thing because of their uh, inflammability. But that's a very contentious point. But uh, weeds, to me, are better seen as potential sources of food and, in my case, potential sources of medicine. And herbal medicine uh, is essentially based on what lay people refer to as weeds. Some of our most significant medicinal plants are known colloquially Uh, and in a a disparaging way as being weeds. But without them, 
herbal medicine would have no existence. Herbal medicine is based on wayside weeds, I call them wayside herbs, that have a traditional recognition that goes back hundreds if not thousands of years and are used increasingly uh, in modern herbal medicine, particularly Western herbal medicine. So when people talk about weeds, they need to be very cautious because uh, the dandelion coffee, for instance, that they may enjoy and purchase from the supermarket, that is based on the weed dandelion, uh, one of the most important medicinal herbs is is dandelion and uh, i was thinking about this coming down when people talking about weeds perhaps uh, wayside herbs uh, or herbs generally having no place in modern medicine i would draw the the listener's attention to the fact that some modern medicines that are prescribed today are essentially based on or derived from what we would call wayside herbs. For instance, round the hunter presently, um, there, there is a herb, a very toxic herb, called stramonium or, or datura. And uh, it is a toxic herb in as much that it can affect the nervous system. But yet, it has been the basis of uh, pharmaceuticals for many, many decades. Uh, the, the, the herb uh, stramonium, stramonium datura, belongs to a group of herbs of which belladonna and hyoscyamus are also members. Now, those three herbs in, in pharmacy have a history that goes back for many, many decades. They're not as popularly used today, albeit some older pharmacists may still make up preparations based on these herbs and the extracts of these herbs. These herbs contain what are called anticholinergic characteristics. So, for instance, uh, with Stramonium datura, it is the basis of of a formula in the Australian pharmaceutical formulary of decades ago for bronchial conditions and asthmatic conditions with with hyosimus or hyosimus, uh, commonly known as henbane, a weed, let me emphasise, that has a very significant history of being used to address acute cystitis. Uh, there's an old formula that older pharmacists would recognise, potsit and hyoscyamus, potassium citrate and hyoscyamus, a weed that has given relief and still can give relief where you have it being prescribed as a medication for cystitis. Belladonna, deadly nightshade, uh, restricted to, to, to medicine and to pharmacists, but with a long, long history of being used to address gastrointestinal conditions. So what are we saying here? We're saying some of these so-called weeds historically have been seen as being more than weeds and have been harnessed and converted with pharmaceutical procedures into herbal medicines, some of which are very simple herbal medicines, such as extracts and tinctures. Uh, and, And the other thing, of course, is that many of these weeds are still the bases of uh, modern um, medicines, particularly in Europe. Uh, for instance, the, 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 the wayside herb, if you like to call it, St Mary's thistle, which grows prolifically in the hunter, and sometimes a wretched nuisance, I admit, but there would be no more popular herb used in Europe than St Mary's thistle, which is the primary remedy that is used to address many hepatic and gallbladder conditions. So, In Anglo countries, it is fair to say that the emphasis on weeds in medicine or herbs in medicine is not as great as it is in Europe. Europe has had a much stronger tradition of giving regard 
to these wayside things than to modern Anglo cultures. But we are catching up, fortunately, and that is why I've spent my life emphasising the need to preserve traditional knowledge associated with wayside weeds or herbs because they still have a role to play and my view is they will have an increasing role to play as supplies of modern pharmaceuticals perhaps becomes a lot scarcer and more expensive. Keep in mind that herbal medicine based on weeds uh, doesn't mean to say it is ineffective. It is very effective. The fact is, however, that we are up against what's called increasingly big farm. And big farm doesn't want to know too much about herbs because big farm is based on designer medications, designer pharmaceuticals, not the nature medications that I emphasise. There's a big difference between what I stand for as far as traditional plant-based medicine and the medicines of big farm, which are increasingly manufactured by a shrinking number of multinational pharmaceutical companies. That's pretty radical stuff, isn't it? Oh, it (laughs) is. And Health Naturally on 2NURFM. And we are talking about herbs, wayside herbs and... uh, we talked about dandelion briefly mm. last uh, last but Too week. briefly. Too briefly. I think we, we would be wise just to review dandelion very quickly and just emphasise some of the virtues of what is probably, I'd say probably, the best known herb, even by uh, the lay public that is not uh, well versed in medicinal herbalism. Most uh, listeners would have heard of the dandelion, albeit would not be aware of the fact that it has multiple properties leading from a a valuable nutritional uh, activity through to an activity on the liver and gallbladder and also uh, through to being a very useful mild diuretic. Uh, I don't think there would be too many uh, modern Western herbalists that would not agree with me that it probably is the most prescribed uh, medicinal herb keeping in mind it is a wayside herb, to use the common language, but a potent um, substance. And I said last week, and I would reiterate it, that dandelion is taken much more seriously in European countries where, in fact, cultivars of it, that is, uh, dandelion um, variants, if you like, or cultivars have been developed over time so that it is grown commercially. And it is grown commercially both for the leaves and for the roots. The uh, above-ground parts of dandelion are very, very valuable and acceptable components in a salad, for instance. I think I said last week, and I'll reiterate it, they have a taste somewhat like endives. There is a bitter edge to the taste, which uh, complements some of the taste factors in other components of the salad, and it is popularly used in side dishes, etc., again, in European countries where uh, dandelion, olive oil and foods like that come together frequently in meals. And I would encourage listeners uh, to not bypass the dandelions that might even be growing in their garden. Don't throw them away. If they're growing on healthy, unsprayed soil, gather the leaves, wash them, clean them and use them as a vegetable. They're very, very, very edible. And I say that quite seriously. I've used them. Most of these herbs that I talk about, I have collected and most of them 
I have used. My wife will vouch for that because our life has been one big journey of stopping here and there and collecting some of these substances, sometimes with students, sometimes just on our own. Medicinally, however, the leaves of a dandelion have a very valuable and recognised mild potassium-sparing diuretic effect. And in herbal medicine, they are used as a gentle diuretic for those patients for whom it is applicable. We are not saying it is a competitive diuretic with some of the stronger diuretics that might be prescribed for cardiovascular conditions, for instance, but we are saying that it is a gentle uh, uh, substance with no toxicity, uh, full of minerals, potassium sparing, and uh, provides just that diuretic edge that some people can uh, uh, see as valuable. For instance, uh, some women develop uh, a lot of fluid retention, uh, particularly if they're in various occupations. And sometimes the use, the regular use of dandelion leaf tea is a useful agent to promote improved um, diuretic activity and lead to some reduction in the mild fluid retention that might accumulate on them during the day. There's an indication. Other indications where herbalists would use the leaves of dandelion to promote a diuretic activity would be in, in some aspects of the premenstrual syndrome. Uh, some uh, ladies approaching their period, and they would agree with me, would uh, blow up with fluid. They have a lot of fluid retention um, and uh, have a lot of nostalgia sometimes associated with it. The use of dandelion leaf in the second phase of the cycle is uh, very much prescribed by medical herbalists in the Western tradition to assist coping with symptoms associated with some of the hormonal factors that precipitate uh, the symptoms of PMS. We could go on, but I, I guess what I'm saying is rather than look at harsher diuretic substances, consider, consider the dandelion leaf readily available, very cheap, very simple, converted into an infusion, very valuable at that level. But the root, of course, of dandelion is the primary part that's used. Uh, listeners would have heard me talk a moment ago about dandelion coffee. Well, dandelion coffee, or I think they call it now dandelion tea, uh, political correctness, I suspect. But um, dandelion coffee or tea is readily available in our uh, health food stores and also in our supermarkets. It's a popular vegetable uh, uh, beverage. Sometimes older preparations uh, would also incorporate the herb chicory. And you can still purchase an old-fashioned, well, I guess it's not really old-fashioned, but you can still uh, purchase uh, a preparation from the supermarket that contains coffee and chicory, another herb, a very, very tasty preparation of dandelion when it's used uh, with chicory as a, a coffee alternative, if you want to call it that. So it's used um, as a beverage, and in herbal medicine it is harnessed because there are few herbs that have such a reparative effect on the liver and gallbladder. And it will promote improvement in liver function that frequently shows itself with improvement in liver function tests. And it will also lessen some of the uh, uh, gallbladder symptoms that come from a dysfunctional gallbladder, what we would call a congested gallbladder, where drainage of the gallbladder 
we claim, is accompanied by the, the taking regularly of dandelion root. Dennis Stewart on 2NURFM's Health Naturally. We're taking your calls. Irene has rung in now from Brightwaters. Irene, you've got a question about reflux. Yes, I have. Hello, um, I really want to know um, how, what is reflux, uh, number one, and how do you manage it? Okay. Let me ask you a question, Irene. Do you suffer from reflux? Yes, I do. Okay. And your doctor has prescribed medication for it? Uh, no. Okay. Um, well, I've, I've only taken uh, supermarket uh, preparations. Okay. Uh, reflux, I'll try to keep it simple for you, is the regurgitation of um, the contents of the gut through, right. through the uh, what we'd call the loosening of a little valve, and I'll keep it as simple as that, which allows some of the uh, gut contents to regurgitate and scald. I'll use that term, it's not the right term, but scald or irritate um, the gut wall and cause some degree of inflammation. And uh, as, as we get older, that's my interpretation, as we get older with wear and tear, it tends to become a little bit more common and has been called up under different names. Historically, it was called uh, hyperacidity because right. the experience was that uh, uh, the condition, the gut discomfort was caused by a high level of, of gut acidity. Uh, th these days they call it gastroesophageal reflux, reflux disease, but essentially the, it is a, 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 an irritation, an inflammatory condition of the gut wall caused by the gut contents, and particularly in a regurgitating fashion. And that's putting it very, very simply and, uh, and not too medically for you. Right. Now, um, the, the treatment, any condition where you get continual uh, irritation or reflux symptoms or I'll call them hyperacidic symptoms of the, of the upper gut, say the stomach, uh, really does need to be investigated because sometimes uh, it can be associated with, with what's called peptic ulcers or stomach ulcers and, right. your, and your doctor can well interpret that by simple investigation and there is a treatment that is usually very effective if, if ulceration is, uh, is the cause of the discomfort. Right. But in reflux cases that aren't related to it, there are a bracket of drugs known as PPI, that's the proton pump inhibitors, which have been popularly used to address the problem, and there are many names given to them. My pharmacy colleagues, and I have many of them, uh, tell me that they're becoming less popular because of the awareness the long-term usage of them may in fact um, cause some um, problems as far as assimilation of particular nutrients in the gut that depend upon um, gut chemistry, optimum gut chemistry. So I have noticed in recent years a, a bit of a drift away um, from them. Obviously, the doctor is the best person to make the decision on that, and, and frequently some people need to be on them, despite the fact that there may be an emerging awareness that there are problems in the long-term use of them. However, Hi. my view is that um, if it's just reflux, there are other ways of addressing it before yeah. you go down the pharmaceutical pathway. And I'll give you some simple hints. The first thing that I would be recommending to people is that they try a herb that I've mentioned frequently on this program, Slippery Elm. 
Right. Slippery elm is one of the oldest herbs in the Western herbal medicine tradition. It comes from the bark of an American tree called Ulmus fulva. That's its botanical name. It's called slippery elm in the in in the U.S. And um, we uh, we get it, and the powder of that provides a mucilage uh, factor, which has a very useful protective effect on the right. gut wall. In other words, it sets up uh, a microscopic protective membrane on the inflamed. Um, gut wall that brings about comfort and when it's used over a period of time it can see some improvement in symptoms and a lessening of a drift towards more serious levels of inflammation so in my view uh, people that aren't on uh, pharmaceutical medication should try in my opinion about a teaspoonful a heap teaspoonful of right. slippery elm powder that's the best way of using it in my opinion now the the second thing is in herbal medicine, there's a herb that uh, is mentioned on this program quite frequently called meadowsweet. Right. Now, meadowsweet is well-defined, very well-defined in the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia and uh, is one of the most uh, defined herbs to address uh, inflammatory conditions of the upper gut. It's specifically uh, recommended for things like peptic and duodenal ulceration and for what the pharmacopoeia calls, using old-fashioned language, hypersidity. It's specific for that. Uh, it's readily available. And again, in my opinion, it is best used as a simple herbal tea uh, and taken regularly two to three times a day as a starting base, as a starting base for someone whose symptoms at this stage are early uh, and preferably uh, being uh, monitored by their GP, the use of slippery elm powder taken daily, a teaspoonful twice a day, and the taking of, say, three cups of meadowsweet tea a day. Let me emphasise that meadowsweet is a lovely European, predominantly English herb, uh, well, well documented, very, very safe, and it's pleasant. I have a number of patients who, uh, even after their um, condition has been resolved using meadowsweet tea, uh, prefer to stay on it because right. it, it has a very pleasant taste and, oh. uh, and also has some usefulness in addressing uh, inflammatory conditions of the joints. That's a simple starting base right. for you, Irene, which uh, hopefully will give you a, a couple of clues on what you might do to stop this condition, which I have uh, probably incorrectly referred to as regurgitation of the gut contents causing scalding of the gut wall. Right. Yeah, what I find, uh, I uh, drink a, a green smoothie yes. uh, of a morning, yes. and I find that if I put root ginger in that, yes. it yeah. really helps. Okay. Uh, well, ginger has a, a reputation as being a what's called a carminative herb. It, right. sh it, shares, it shares characteristics uh, with, with herbs of a similar ilk. Um, even uh, turmeric has similar characteristics to it, right. and, and the the chemistry of it is is predominantly what we would refer to as being a mild, mild anti-inflammatory benefit. Right. So if there's right. if there's irritation, or scalding, or even mild inflammation, that probably explains why putting that substance in right, has okay. contributed to its benefit. Yeah, that you, makes sense. You're on, you're on the right track, and congratulations. But take on board uh, of what I've said about a good old slippery arm 
Absolutely. And, and uh, Meadow Sweat, I'm glad you're doing something for yourself. Increasingly, we're all going to have to do this. The cost of medicine is going to outstrip our ability to pay for it, and the cost of pharmaceuticals is going to go that way, and the availability is going to go that yeah. way. We all have to get back to take more responsibility for our own health. To and you RFM's Health Naturally with Dennis Stewart. And on the line, Dennis, we have Jackie from Anna Bay. Jackie, your question's about arthritis, yes? Yes, arthritis. I've got chronic arthritis. Uh-huh. Now, Jackie, is it osteo or rheumatoid arthritis? Oh, I've been told I've got both in my back, but most of it's osteo. Okay. Now, you are presently on medication, are you, Jackie? I try not to take painkillers. Okay. But you, you need to take them at times. Well... That's understandable. When it's overbearing, I'll, yeah. I'll take an endone, but okay. I mean, I'm not saying an endone. I've okay. taken, say, four in the last... Six months. Okay. Look, I understand where you're coming from. If you need to get relief from pain, sometimes you have to use that stronger medication which your doctor has prescribed for you. I'll offer you a few suggestions. Um, I'll, I'll just interrupt you a second. Yeah. I'm already taking turmeric, yes. pokemine and wild fish oil. Uh, they're good things. The only thing I would say about them is that dosage is pretty important with those substances frequently i see people taking them in very very uh, underdosed levels and they wow. would will not have the level of potential that they have if you are using them and if you're in so much discomfort uh, have a word with your pharmacist about the dosage that might you might need to work with because again simply because they are natural medicines or herbal medicines that does not mean that they can be just taken uh, haphazardly as if one was just taking uh, a nutritional supplement. These are medications. And I come back to the point that you're on the right track, but you may not be using them in the right dosage. For instance, with reference to fish oils, I frequently have people, um, when I mention the potential of fish oil being useful in, in rheumatoid arthritis, they say, oh, yes, but I'm taking fish oil, and I will say... Uh, what what dosage are you taking? And I say, oh, I'll take a capsule a day, say a 1,000 milligrams. Well, the literature doesn't support that. With something like fish oil, you have to be taking something from three to six grams of fish oils regularly daily to be able to test the ability of them over a period of time, and it would take a period of time, to address the generation or of um, of inflammation. So the first thing I would say is, look, what you're taking seems to be correct, but if you're not getting the result, it could be because um, the preparation you're taking, you're taking it in an underdose level and perhaps irregularly, and those things will only work if they're taken regularly and in the right dosage. And like all gentle medicines, herbal medicines and supplements, they tend to grow on you, don't expect an effect to assert themselves in a matter of a couple of days, look for a journey with them over a number of weeks before they start uh, to impress you with their benefits. But very quickly, very quickly, I would also say that we are not, in my opinion, harnessing one of the oldest and most highly regarded herb for addressing uh, arth arthritic conditions, and that is the herb willow bark. 
Willow bark is the oldest and best documented uh, herb in herbal medicine for addressing both forms of arthritis. It seems to be overshadowed these days uh, by more popular medicines that go under more popular names uh, and the industries like that it tends to get hold of something and, and run with it for a while until the next thing comes up. Natural medicine products, unfortunately, uh, succumb to the same sort of entrepreneurial activity. And that's part of the, like any industry, I suspect. There's not a lot of glamour, perhaps, in, in willow bark. But I consider it still, as one who's been in the profession perhaps too many years, as being one of the most reliable and well-documented substances and very safe when it's taken uh, under the right conditions and in the right dosage. Have a, a word with your pharmacist about getting hold of some uh, willow bark capsules. Now, there's a, the, oh, willow bark tablets. If your pharmacist likes to contact me, I would be happy to pass on to him um, the manufacturers that I have confidence in that are making willow bark preparations standardised and prescribed in the correct level. Okay. Can I ask you one more yes, question? Yes, of course you can. I, I like my tea and coffee. Yes, so do I. Yeah. Um, I use, oh gosh, what are they called? Inhermacetas. So say that again. I use hermacetas. Hermas. It hasn't got aspartame in it. Oh, okay. So you're using that as a sweetening agent. Hello? Is that causing any problem? Uh, well, um, you're only using it as a sweetening agent, aren't you? Yes. Okay. And, and how frequently are you using it? Oh, three times a day. I have two in coffee. Yes. One in tea, so, okay, so maybe five tablets a day. Yeah, look, um, there's a bit of debate about the long-term use of that. i tell you what I do. I, I tend to use honey. I put okay. honey, uh, and my wife will vouch for that. We have our own bees, which unfortunately presently have been uh, locked down. But um, we use honey in our beverages, uh, and I can I consider it. That's my opinion. Is it is probably uh, the best alternative to sugar, yep. and um, the, the small amount that you would use in your five cups of beverage a day um, wouldn't have any consequences um, on 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 any aspect of it, other than just giving you a sweetening effect in the beverages that you that you that you're using. So all the very best with mm, that, Jackie. Mm. Uh, Dennis, we've got two more questions yeah, that have yeah, been okay, left yeah, by callers. Yeah, okay. They're not on the line. But one is about a wayside herb, if that's what you can call <laughs> nasturtiums. <laughs> Die from Lake Macquarie wants to know, are both leaves and flowers edible? Okay. Uh, nasturtium, interestingly, is a wayside herb. I know on the Central Coast, uh, very frequently see it on damp, more shaded areas of of, um, of the countryside there and uh, when I used to take students on field excursions on the central coast it was we were readily able to find the nasturtium in its beautiful golden uh, and yellow colors um, can it be used uh, is it used edible edibly it can be but interestingly and this is listeners wouldn't appreciate this but 
the nasturtium is a very, very significantly uh, used herb in Europe to address recurrent urinary tract infections. So the, the leaves and the flowers, as far as I'm aware, um, and I, I, I go to restaurants and I see um, the, the flowers put on um, decorative dishes. Um, uh, I can't vouch for it, but I would not think that there would be any problems in using it edibly. Certainly, uh, both parts are used in the manufacture of herbal medicines. And uh, I remember um, sucking the nectar out of the flowers, <laughs> the nasturtium flowers, when I was a kid too. They, they don't do it these days, Jane. We've <laughs> no. lost touch with that, unfortunately. <laughs> it's like making a whistle out of gum leaves. Yeah. And Paul from Shortland has rung in also, and he's asking if there's anything in our last couple of minutes that yeah. can assist side with side effects when having radiotherapy and chemo. Look, it's, it's difficult to answer this question, Jane, because one would need to know uh, the sort of side effects that he may be experiencing. What, what I would say is that if uh, he is having symptoms of, of nausea, for instance, uh, that is not an uncommon symptom with aspects of, uh, of cancer therapy. Um, using uh, some herbal teas, for instance, is a very valuable way of addressing that problem. For instance, in our profession, uh, there is a herb called black whorehound, botanically known as Bolotta nigra. It is a famous and very effective uh, anti-nauseant and prescribed successfully uh, when, um, when people present with that, um, with that symptom. Um, so if it's, if it's nausea, um, think of chamomile, uh, think of uh, black whorehound, think of peppermint. Uh, if there are symptoms of, uh, of scalding on the gut wall, or irritation in the bowel, um, think of using the herb slippery elm. Always, of course, always, of course, uh, keeping your oncologist or your doctor uh, informed with what you're doing. But I can't say much more than that without knowing exactly what the gentleman uh, is suffering by way of side effects. Nausea, um, gut, uh, gut uh, mm. symptoms. Yes, we need more with information. Yes, for we that, do don't indeed. We? And just very quickly, in our last thirty seconds, Amanda rang in from Cooks Hill, and somebody a couple of weeks ago said they were suffering from severe itching. Thought it might have been washing powder causing causing it. Do you think yes, no? Oh, I would doubt it. <laughs> doubt, oh, it. Doubt, <laughs> doubt it. Severe itching. Yeah, okay. So that really brings Health Naturally to an end today. Thank you very much, We had much, a good ramble. Dennis we didn't Stewart. get very far. I wanted to touch on some other fascinating herbs which are growing prolifically at present. I shall mention them next week. Yes. Um, but, yeah, we had a good time today, Jane. We did, and thank you all for your questions. Thank you, Dennis Stewart. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.